Rural Health Voice, Episode 50, A View from the Hill. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. How will changes in Congress and the presidency impact rural health care? Alan Morgan, CEO of the National Rural Health Association, joined me to discuss his view of Capitol Hill. So welcome, Alan. Hey, Beth. Glad, glad to join with you. Uh, absolutely. You know, so you're the uh, CEO of the National Rural Health Association. And uh, I, I got to thinking, you know, I've been with VRHA a little over 15 years now. Um, you've been at NRHA longer than I've been at VRHA, and you and I are approaching dinosaur status. I, I, I hate to say it. That is definitely the case. Yeah. I've oh, been my with, goodness. Been with NRHA, this is my 20th year. Oh, my. So looking, looking way back, how did you first get interested in rural health policy? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm from a small town, northeast Kansas, and uh, worked for the governor, then worked for the congressman, and um, obviously always had an inter- interest in health care. And um, once I shifted off Capitol Hill and I began representing physician organizations, just naturally the background um, gravitated me towards the rural component of it. And after 15 years of, of lobbying for physician organizations and hospital organizations, um, had the opportunity to move over to NRHA. It's just been such a great fit. Yeah, we appreciate having you and having your expertise in there. Now, the National Rural Health Association's major advocacy event is the upcoming Rural Health Policy Institute. What are your hopes for the outcome of that event? Oh, wow. Well, um, we have a new Congress. We now have a new administration. Um, it's a great time. This Policy Institute always is that opening voice for rural health, to be honest with you. We have it right at the beginning of each year. So important at the beginning of a new, beginning of a new Congress um, that we tee up the key issues impacting rural communities. So my hope is that members of Congress and elected officials right out the beginning have a clear understanding of what's happening in rural communities, what's needed to make sure that we have high access, uh, access to high quality healthcare services, and that rural has a voice. Sure. You know, and there's been obviously so much national attention on the election process, but now the elections are over, we need to do actual work and make sure that that members of Congress are working yes. to to represent their communities. And so with that, what do you think is the best way for people to engage their members of Congress? Well, right now, obviously, face-to-face really is not an option unless they are actually in your community and visiting your um, office or facility. But really, to be honest with you, um, emails and the ability at our Policy Institute, we're going to do uh, Zoom advocacy meetings with um, elected officials. And just being able to establish on the front end as being a trusted resource, that pays dividends throughout throughout the year. And so establishing yourself a trusted resource, a voice within the community, to be able to tell an accurate story of what's happening, so very important. 
And with that, you know, one of the things that we see, especially as urban populations grow and rural populations decline, we see fewer and fewer people in D.C. and in Richmond that are actually from rural, that understand rural. How can we help those who are outside rural communities, whether they're elected officials or government department heads or other decision makers, understand rural issues? Yeah, when you talk about rural issues, you're you're talking about a a place-based policy approach. And rural's not a small version of urban, it's really a unique healthcare delivery environment. And being able to just convey that and convey the fact that um, it's a sense of community, one. Two, that you have a, a an ability to network and collaborate in a rural context that you don't see as much in an urban context, certainly not in the healthcare space. And three, um, the really the most important thing to convey when it comes to rural is rural's a place where those most in need of healthcare services have the fewest options available when it comes to access to workforce and the workforce shortages that we face. And with that, you know, with your video presentation for the Rural Health Voice Conference in the fall, you had a slide in your presentation that I'm pretty sure I've seen in every presentation you have ever given. And it describes rural communities and rural citizens as older, poor, or sicker. Yep. And while that's statistically accurate, another recent guest on this show advocated for rural communities using an assets-based approach, focusing more on what we have rather than what we lack. Do you see any drawbacks in always describing ourselves in the negative? Um, absolutely. And I say that all the time in my presentations. I usually say this is a tale of two cities here. Um, rural is a place where innovation begins. You have to remember that every every innovative approach to health policy over the last 20 years or 15 that we've known each other has an origin in rural America. You need to be able to convey that these rural communities are really test beds for innovation when it comes to healthcare, number one. So that's a huge positive. But likewise, you have to be able to make the case of why there has to be a focus. If you're not talking about older, sick, or poor, whether it be local, state, or federal officials, what they're hearing is, oh great, they've got that covered. I can turn around my focus here on these inner city urban areas that really need a lot of assistance. We don't want that. We want to make sure that rules not forgotten about. So you have to make the case of how you improve healthcare or else you will be forgotten. And one of NRHA's slogans is that you're not pro-Democrat or pro-Republican, but pro-rural, basically it's saying that no matter what political party you represent, we want to work with you on rural issues. But when I look at a congressional map, the majority of elected officials who represent rural are indeed Republicans. How does NRHA maintain neutrality in that environment? Yeah, I think that's the most important thing that we do at NRHA, both from a member standpoint and certainly from a staff standpoint. We have to maintain that bipartisan approach. And Beth, you've seen it over the years. When we provide our legislative awards at our Policy Institute, we go out of our way of making sure that we represent equally Democrat and Republican approach to it. Because I got to tell you, and I mentioned this when we when I gave the presentation, and you and I have talked about this many times, about 98% of the issues that we deal with in rural health are nonpartisan. Almost all of the legislation that's introduced at the federal level 
has both a Republican and Democrat co-sponsor on it. There are two big issues that are outliers, and let's address those. Number one, the Affordable Care Act. You can't get any more partisan than that, obviously, and it has a tremendous impact on rural populations. So that is a partisan issue. Number two is the proper role and responsibility of the federal government dealing with a global pandemic. Um, obviously, from a Republican perspective, they, they'd like to see this really handled at the local and state level. Um, so we don't currently have a, a, a coordinated federal approach. That'll change under the new administration, but that's the other um, aspect that's definitely partisan. But that being said, gosh, Beth, when you talk about uh, access to broadband, telehealth, workforce shortages, hospital closures, health disparities, all of these topics are, are bipartisan in nature. Sure. One of the few things that my congressional representative and I agree on is that Closing rural hospitals is bad. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad for healthcare. It's bad for the economy. It's bad for everything. It's just bad. And we need to, to address that. Oh my gosh, yes. And you see that falling through when you talk about many of the regulatory issues that we talk about. It's amazing to me that um, we will have opportunities uh, to deal with regulatory concerns in the new administration. But obviously, a lot of the staffing that actually really um, are the boots on the ground within the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services or the Health Resources Services Administration, or you name the, the agency, um, they retain and remain throughout the changes in the administration. So these are all approaches and issues that it really doesn't matter who's in the White House um, on how they will proceed. Well, and with that, when we recorded your video presentation at the time, we didn't yet know who would be the next president. And you had made the assumption that the Republicans would retain control of the Senate. We now know that Joe Biden will be the 46th president and the Senate has a 50-50 split with Vice President Harris being the tiebreaker. Does any of that really make a difference for rural health advocates? Yes, no, maybe. How's that for a good answer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I stand by it. And it's funny. I went back and listened to the presentation and it, it's, uh, I don't know whether it's good or just flat out sad that despite all the uh, amazing changes that have happened over the last couple months, uh, what I said still r is right on the mark, I, with the exception of obviously the Senate. And and I think we should talk about that. Um, it, the assumption when I, I talked was, wow, the Republicans would control uh, the Senate and we'd have to divide a government. Um, with the Democrats taking over the Senate, what I will say that makes a huge difference is um, when it comes to chairs of key committees. And I'm talking about Senator Tester from Montana, who now takes over as chair of the Veterans Affairs, Senate Veterans Affairs. Um, uh, uh, Senator Wyden from Oregon, who takes over finance, which really all of our Medicare, Medicaid issues are going to go through. That's huge. Wyden is a huge supporter of rural health clinics, and that's a, a, a huge shift going ahead. And with the potential of uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia potentially taking over as Senate Majority Leader, uh, all three of those that I've mentioned are past NRHA award winners for their being champions for rural health policy. And in your video presentation, you had said that one of your priorities for the incoming administration was to establish rural representation within executive branch agencies. 
Tell me more about that. Yeah, we have been working so very hard on on that. I will say this, for the Biden administration, the incoming administration, over the last two months, I... Um, we've had more interactions, discussions, conversations, uh, sharing of policies with this transition team than we have for any of the other incoming administrations. And among top top among the asks that we're saying within those first 100 days, uh, establish a reestablish a White House Council on Rule and or create a rule czar within the federal government at the top level. Um, having that, and I will say also the reestablishment of the uh, CMS Rural Council as well, too. And finally, let me hit, we still are pushing very hard to have an Office of Rural Health within the CDC. Certainly during this pandemic, it, it's more than merited. And with something like the uh, Council on Rural, which is essentially bringing together a representative from, from the various government departments to talk about you know, what they have in common rural issues, what are some specific areas you would like to see for collaboration between the agencies? Oh, gosh, yes. And everyone on listening to the podcast right now can rattle these off, I'm sure, as well, too. First and foremost, um, broadband, internet connectivity, and telehealth. I'm going to lump all three of those together. Virginia as a state is a national leader um, at the state level in telehealth adoption. But you know, we've got to have a better coordination between the FCC, USDA, HRSA, CMS, when you're talking about uh, that, uh, having those agencies actually on an ongoing basis, collaborating, talking, um, addressing barriers, um, that, that's going to be so very important, number one. Number two, um, there, this whole COVID issue um, of how do we make sure that we have vaccine distribution um, adequately and representatively happening between urban and rural. And gosh, we've got to have a better tracking in the federal government of who has been vaccinated so we see where are the areas that, that we need focus in on. Are there any issues within all of that that we can be advocating for on a state level to, to sort of do a, a ground up process? Yeah, I, I, from right now, um, it, the vaccine distribution, um, one, is is very so much state by state and so much by community. Um, great example, some rural communities are, are getting the, the vaccine out where they need, some are not. And here's the important thing, I think, to date, you know, we the focus has been on the top tiers of healthcare providers and those um, most at risk. Um, we're going to rapidly now shift into the general population. And so being able to share with your policy leaders, here's our experience in the community. Here's where we see barriers and here's where we see concerns. Because um, now as we shift into the general population, any glitches that we've seen over the last two weeks are going to be substantially magnified going ahead. And I just want to make sure that looking at those communities most at risk, rural communities, that we have them on the front end of this vaccine distribution going ahead so we can mitigate some of the, the mortality and hospitalization levels that unfortunately we're seeing. You had also talked about the importance of the 340B program in helping rural hospitals stay afloat and that the pharmaceutical companies are fighting this program on Capitol Hill. What's their specific objection to 340B? 
Uh, from the pharmaceutical standpoint, they're losing money. Um, that's pretty straightforward as, as you could possibly be on this. Um, they're, they're a company. It's always important when you're advocating on something to know the other um, perspective. And the other argument that they are making is this distorts the marketplace. Um, obviously, I completely and wholeheartedly disagree with that. The 340B program has been a lifeline, and I'll be—I'll go out on a limb to say the only reason why we haven't had half of the nation's rural hospitals close altogether. This 340B program, you cannot understate the importance it is to maintaining access to care for safety net providers. And if you are the only rural provider in that town, you are a safety net provider. So they will continue to push. And I will say that the Trump administration has done what they has worked on this to try to push back. I would expect further and more strenuous um, uh, uh, pushback from the Biden administration. Um, I, I am optimistic and hopeful we've, we've turned the corner. And let me say this. Thank you, Beth. I, this is really important. No matter who you talk with, Republicans, Democrats, House, administration, and even among the pharmaceutical companies themselves, they understand the value of the 340B program to rural facilities. They have. Um, but the threat to the larger program threatens the entire program. And this is really the only policy. We In NRHA, you know this, we we stay in our lane and we focus in on rural issues. 340B is the only program that we get out of our lane. We recognize if any part of this program falls, the entire program falls. And so we really lobby on behalf of the entire program, not just the rural providers that are benefited from it. Aside from the 340B program, what are your current concerns with the financial health of our rural health care providers? especially in light of COVID. Yeah, where do I start on that? Um, wow. I, you know, rural, rural hospitals have always faced financial pressures. And prior to COVID, more than half of them were operating at a loss. That has only been exacerbated through the current pandemic. And I'll be honest with you, what I hear again and again from rural hospital members across the U.S. is workforce, workforce, workforce. Uh, it's always There's always been that competition of attracting clinicians, but now as a lot of our rural uh, nurses are moving into the traveling nurse program, we're just seeing this, our small rural towns are having to compete against larger communities and having to compete against significantly increased salaries. And this is further putting additional pressures on these, on our rural providers. We, we have to, we have to reimagine how we're um, attracting and retaining our healthcare professionals as we move ahead. But we, we've really got to, in this next Congress, move towards a, a new payment model of, that's more sustainable for our rural communities as we move. Well, and thinking about COVID, you know, the, the cost of everything has been incredible. One of the things that the Virginia Rural Health Association does um, to try to help out is we've been serving as sort of a group purchasing entity for our small clinics and other providers because them trying to get a hold of gloves and masks and N95s and whatever else right now has been crazy. I, I recently got quoted a price of 1950 for a box of 100 gloves. 
Wow. That's Looney Tunes. Oh my gosh. Yes, 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 yes. And you may have noticed the uh, NRHA. We, we, uh, uh, recently, uh, last couple weeks, um, secured a, a discounted group purchasing agreement for our members as well, too. It is ex- the, the cost on, on COVID care and where we're at is, is out of, out of whack. Let's be honest. Access is so very important to these supplies. And there are really are no easy solutions other than what you mentioned, um, state rural health associations, state hospital associations, state primary care associations, and the larger associations banding together to try to make sure we can make it through this crisis. And then, of course, aside from PPE, we got to get everybody vaccinated. How do we do that in our rural communities? Yeah, it's really challenging. And it's, you know, I, I've heard there are success stories out there. And where you and I talked earlier about um, uh, talking about good things. Well, Nebraska, North Dakota, Kansas, were th- those are three states that pop out in my mind of, of receiving actually the Pfizer vaccine on day one um, and getting it out to their providers. Um, and but the real challenge I think now is as as we mentioned we're moving into the general population. How do we overcome a a community wide hesitancy of taking a a new vaccine um, and understanding that this really is going to be our our main primary uh, uh, weapon in 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 taming this global pandemic as we move forward. It's going to be a huge communication issue, as you and I have talked about um, offline over the last couple of weeks. And it's going to take it's going to take a lot of work to make sure that rural communities understand and realize the 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 safety uh, uh, aspect of this and realize the necessity of being vaccinated. Absolutely. Let's make sure that everybody's protected the best that we can. Yeah, circling back around to the beginning of our conversation, um, you and I are now officially the old guard. We have a a lot more gray hair than we did 15, 20 years ago. Um, And we need to make sure that that we're bringing in and inspiring the next generation. If one of our student listeners was interested in a career in health policy, what advice would you have for that person? Oh, yeah. Well, first off, um, make sure that you're if you are interested in, in a career in health policy or rural health in general, make sure you, you, you are a member of the Virginia Rural Health Association. Check out the National Rural Health Association. We have discounted student rates to join. It's a good opportunity to see the, the breadth of what's available and be around peers who, who understand all the assets um, and the benefits of, of rural, rural America and why rural health policy is just a, a, a great uh, area to focus in on innovation. And so, number one, join an association, be with your peers, get involved. And that's a good way to start. Absolutely. So last question, the question I ask all of my guests, if you could do anything, Alan, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? Wow. If I could do anything to improve health and healthcare in rural America, well, uh, gee, I think that, oh, where to even start with that? I think I'd start with the workforce component, number one. Um, we need to change how we're attracting and retaining workforce professionals, which means we actually place a greater emphasis on growing our own 
and starting locally of communicating that to um, young people within our rural towns that rural America is a, is a great place to work, live, and thrive, number one. Number two, we've got to be able to address the healthcare inequities that we're seeing and the um, uh, uh, decreasing life expectancy in rural. And that's all about empowering rural people to, um, with the tools to take better control of their own health care. Uh, number two, so workforce, providing rural communities the uh, ability to take care of themselves. And, and, and then the third thing is, wow, making sure that we keep the access points out there, whether they're community health centers or rural health clinics or rural hospitals. Let's not trample the rural access tundra out there. It's really tough to reestablish points of care once you've lost them. Right. Well, thank you, Alan. Thank you, Beth. I always appreciate talking with you, and I, I appreciate your leadership. I hope your uh, listeners recognize that you will be the 2022 president of the National Rural Health Association. I can't think of a better leader to have in a time of transition, so look forward to having your leadership on a national level. Should be fun. Always. That's Alan Morgan and his three-point plan to address health and health care in rural America. Mr. Morgan was one of the speakers at our recent Rural Health Voice Conference. To view the video presentation that led to this interview, visit vrha.org, select Rural Health Voice Conference under the Events tab, and register for the event. You can choose to watch A View from the Hill or all five of our excellent presentations. Alan Morgan's presentation was sponsored by Anthem Healthkeepers. The Rural Health Voice Conference and this podcast are sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health.